here. Welcome to Pegging Paradise podcast number 302. For this podcast, I have an interview. We touch on pegging, of course, (laughs) chastity, and cross-dressing. And I'm fairly sure you're really going to enjoy this one. I certainly had a great time with my interviewee, Steve. Today, I would like to welcome to the Pegging Paradise podcast another interviewee. This is Steve, and Steve and I have been exchanging emails as far back as 2018. I felt like he had some really interesting things to say and different ideas and stories to tell, so I asked if I could interview him, and unfortunately, that was years ago. The fortunate part is that he said yes, but I never got back to him, and so coming back around, I was cleaning out my email box and found this and contacted him again, and here we are, face-to-face virtually. Welcome to the show, Steve. Well, thank you very much, Ruby. It's been, uh, well, something I've been looking forward to immensely. I'm really glad we could finally connect. And uh, yeah, I've been a longtime listener, of course. Um, I've always appreciated your podcast, and when the opportunity came along to be a part of it, I got really excited. So thanks for circling back around. This is great. Absolutely. So, Tell us a little bit about yourself, age, uh, pronouns, how you identify sexual orientation stuff. Absolutely. Um, so my name is Steve, of course. Um, I'm a 31-year-old male. Um, I My pronouns are he, him, and I, I identify as exclusively heterosexual. Um, okay. And then how about relationship status? Sure. So I have been very happy in a monogamous relationship for almost eight years now with my girlfriend now fiance mm. um with the wedding very fast approaching um the anxiety is starting to set in a little bit but only for the planning <laughs> aspects very excited for the end result i promise um, <laughs> congratulations then, thank you very much i appreciate that i uh you know i hope she's as, as excited as i am <laughs> And so tell us a little bit about yourself, whatever you want to share, whatever you're comfortable sharing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, um, I uh, I work in sales. I do a lot of traveling, which I enjoy um, in my free time as well. I try to see as much of this world as I can. Um, I've been to not enough of, I will say, of the, uh, the national parks here in the United States. Um, some international travel as well. Um, I was in Peru with my uh, with some family only a year ago or so. Wow. And uh, that was a wonderful experience. If you can make it, definitely recommended. And uh, when I'm not doing that, um, you know, I'm reading comics, watching movies with my fiance, um, enjoying cars and playing PC games and well, honestly playing too much Dungeons and Dragons. It's probably not healthy. Um, <laughs> but doing, the, doing the best I can. So I, I've seen a fair amount of the national parks way, way long time ago because I traveled with my parents when I was a little kid. My dad was a school teacher and every summer we would travel. And so we hit pretty much most of the national parks, except for the ones in the southeastern corner of the United States. I found out when I was older that my parents wouldn't take us there because 
racism was rampant and they couldn't figure out a way to explain it to us. Right. But, oh my gosh, the national parks, yes. And I've seen a few of them again as an adult, like I backpacked down into the Grand Canyon and stuff like that. But I'm jealous of your international travel. You know, one of these days I'm going to do that. I've been a few places, but never across the pond, as they say. Do you have a favorite national park that maybe you'd want to recommend? Oh, wow. You kind of can't beat Yosemite, even though it's gotten really, really crowded. But if you go up into the Hetch Hetchy Wilderness area, it's really quite uh, beautiful up there. I did some backpacking up there as well. Um, and it's not nearly as crowded, so it depends. And it also depends on when you go, of course. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Yosemite's a favorite. Glacier Point. Glacier Point during a full moon oh. at nighttime, looking down on the village of Yosemite. Oh. That That is an extraordinary experience. Have you, have you been to Disneyland here in California? No, just Disney World down in Florida. I don't know if they have the same ride there, but they had a Peter Pan ride. And oh. it was kind of cool because it was like you're in, you know, they they try and give you the experience of flying. And so there you're in this little sky cab-ish thing, you know, and and down on the floor is all the lights of the village, you know, of the town. And I was just entranced with that when I was a kid. And it resembled that being up at Glacier Point, all those little teeny tiny lights of this village way down there. It's one of the most beautiful things. And then, you know, the, the rock formations and everything of the Yosemite Valley just glow in the moonlight. Anyway, what? clearly I could wax poetic about that. <laughs> just did. Absolutely. So have you been to Yosemite? So. Um, yes, a couple of times. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, and I love it there. Um, I would say, though, I think uh, if you're looking for big canyons and things of that nature, mm -hmm. I really enjoyed Zion. I think um, perhaps even more than Yosemite. It's mm -hmm. a very similar vibe, but you get that kind of high desert aesthetic. It's a little yes. more orange, um, but both are absolutely wonderful. Um, yeah. And then, of course, Yellowstone and the Grand Canyon and arches. And it's oh, that's just, bringing love... back some memories. Wow. Because we sure. went to Yellowstone and that was when they were trying really hard. They hadn't figured out the, the perfect way to keep the bears out. And, oh. and the perfect way to stop the people from interacting stupidly with the bears. Yes. <laughs> and we were told by a ranger there that literally this, this uh, mom gave her daughter a little potato chip and said, go feed the bear. You know, didn't, you know, the, the ranger was there, but he said, people oh are so God. stupid. It's absolutely amazing. Well, you know, look, you have to have a license to fish, but anyone can have a child. Go figure. <laughs> 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 well said yeah and the timing of the whole you know old faithful and and all of that at yellowstone is really quite amazing okay so let's dive in pun intended absolutely let's dive into this whole subject of why you are here so hmm. when did you first in your life discover anal pleasure sure um so i would say you know i'll, I'll go ahead and paint with a broad brush and i'll say that you know i would imagine that for a lot of folks you know, your horizons start to broaden a little bit when you get to about college age. You know, you get a little less self-conscious about maybe what's different about you um, and kind of what makes you maybe a little more unique when you start mm. looking around at other folks. Mm. Um, but uh, of course, they're hiding their own little uniqueness and that's important to remember. <laughs> um, 
So I would say probably around, uh, it was around college age, um, so early 20s. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, any exploration I was doing at that time was built on the, you know, the very, co the copious amount of research I had done as a, you know, a young scholar on the internet, access to Google and, you know, <laughs> off the beaten path interest. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> all that being said, though, um, definitely around that time. Uh, I remember my first few relationships as a, you know, as a teenager and a very, very young man. Um, I sort of identified pretty much exclusively as dominant. Um, and that's anal pleasure or, you know, stimulation was not on my radar. Mm -hmm. um, but I think as I kind of got a little more comfortable in myself and the way that I present myself and, you know, kind of carry myself in the world, um, the more, more receptive for sort of the receiving end of things um, started to grow in sort mm -hmm. of what I was interested in. And it, it wasn't with my first few partners that I got into anal um, play or stimulation. Um, I started to do some solo experimenting and exploration, just small toys and stuff and more fantasies than anything else. Mm. Um, but I was, I was a little nervous to bring it up, of course. And so at least at that time, it was all solo. Mm -hmm. And so was there any, you know, when I teach my beginners class, I'm careful to tell the receivers that, you know, some of you, it's like the first time you've got something in your ass, the angels are singing and you're like, where's this been all my life? But that doesn't sure. happen with everybody. So with some, it's like, okay, I've read the stuff about how amazing this is, feels, but you know, when I put something in there, it just feels like I have to take a crap. So <laughs> where, where did you land if you don't mind sharing? No, absolutely. Um, it was probably, it was somewhere in between for mm. sure. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think it's very interesting if you spend even a small amount of time online looking at forums or what folks have to say about, about anal play, as you said, it's either you see God or it's nothing. <laughs> you see God, and, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like most things in life, the truth, at least for me, lies somewhere in the middle of those two extremes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was definitely something I enjoyed. I knew that I wanted to figure out what so many people, you know, were praising about it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, without the proper or rather, you know, without quality, you know, materials and toys and things, it was a little lackluster um, for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it's very easy to kind of like, you know, um, see some of the Rube Goldberg solutions <laughs> that are you know available <laughs> online and then, you know, perhaps get, get the best introduction to, to backdoor play. There's, that's a common question that's asked. I mean, it comes up pretty quickly on Google. It's like, you know, what's the best substitute for an anal dildo or something like that, an anal toy? What's a right. home thing I can use, you know? <laughs> in the in the, the BDSM world, we call those pervertibles, right? Oh, sure. <laughs> I love that. That's great. And that applies to a whole bunch of different things, like things you can spank people with and all kinds of stuff because mm -hmm. it's BDSM. But you know, the whole safety factor comes into it and it's kind of tough because it's like, no, I really don't recommend you put a vegetable up inside you. <laughs> right. I mean, even if you have the courage to order you know, something from a quote unquote reputable retailer, you still have to be careful about what you're actually buying, you know? So yes, to reach for the vegetable drawer or whatever is uh, risky. <laughs> but it's easier. It's right there. It doesn't mm -hmm. cost any money. You don't have to worry about it coming in the mail. I mean, there's all kinds of considerations mm -hmm. that I've seen people voice and things. So when was the first time that you approached receptive anal play with a partner? Sure. Um, so let's see. Um, 
go back to about that same time frame. And um, it was a long-term girlfriend I had had. And we were just sitting in her dorm room talking about, hey, you know, what are some interests you haven't brought up with me? What are some interests that I haven't shared with you? And when she asked me what one of my fantasies was, I said, well, I'd love to have um, sex with you wearing a strap-on. Is that something that you'd be interested in? Wow. <laughs> well, yeah, no, that's you know, brave. It's brave. It's wonderful. Go ahead. Well, yeah, you know, I, I'm sure <laughs> this is definitely a simplification. I'm sure there was a lot of buildup to this. Um, but <laughs> in the rose-colored glasses of history uh, that I have on, um, it was, yeah, a very casual conversation. Um, and immediately she said, yeah, sure, I'd do that. And so, you know, for me, <laughs> and going forward in my sort of pegging career, it, bringing it up with a partner was not a source of anxiety, really. Um, it's wonderful. It's sort of like you got such a good reaction and it was so easy that approaching it again seemed more matter of fact. Absolutely. I had a very, I had a very smooth onboarding process <laughs> with discussing <laughs> these types of things. Onboarding. And, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, it helps, you know, at the time, you know, her and I were both at, you know, very, very, very liberal arts colleges. And so perhaps maybe the prevailing approach to these types of things or these conversations wasn't as ridden or riddled with um, some of the anxieties or the heteronormative expectations that some other folks have to deal with. Um, yeah, sometimes I think that depends on age, clearly. Mm -hmm. But also, I think it just it can be very much affected by how you approach it. If you're matter of fact and just say, hey, I've been thinking about this, what do you think? As opposed to the shame and embarrassment. And right. sometimes when you're feeling that shame and embarrassment, it's hard for it not to, to, to make sure it doesn't come through and to instead ask that question so plainly with just a matter of fact, sort of, hey, how about this? Right. And unfortunately, with at least with that partner, we didn't actually engage in any of that play. That relationship ran its course kind of soon after that. It has nothing to do with that conversation. Um, but uh, that was just tucked away in the back of my mind afterwards. Thank you for um, making that point. Yeah. So the first person you asked said yes, and then you didn't do it. Okay. Tell the story some more. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and, you know, as college relationships are wont to do, you know, she went her way, I went my way, and Mary, the two shall meet again. Mm -hmm. um, but um, so my first actual taking experience was with my uh, my current partner. Um, mm -hmm. And that conversation went much the same way. Um, nice. And, you know, and it's even more credit to her. Not only was she so accepting of my desires and, you know, what I find sexy and fun, she was not extremely experienced in the sexual realm before we got together. And so for her to make that leap immediately, even without a lot of sort of stereotypically heteronormative, you know, experience was just, I was over the moon excited. That's big. Um, yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. So um, that was very, very exciting. And um, so right after that, I mean, very soon after that conversation, um, we just got one of those terrible um, kind of beginner pegging kits with like, you know, the kind of the fabric. <laughs> harness that well you know a strong wind could blow over and just decided let's give it a whirl and yeah. it was it was great it was so much fun and mm -hmm. you know I enjoyed the sensations and we both enjoyed 
playing with power and um, and gender roles and just that total reversal of the, our normal dynamic. And it opened up the floodgates <laughs> to a lot of, I guess, maybe things or kinks or interests that were brewing in me, brewing in her. And it was a wonderful gateway drug. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, when you when you get such a, a positive response the first time, not to mention a positive experience when you actually try it out, I think that that does pave the way so much more easily because, I don't know, there's a certain amount of trust that has to be built up with your partner. And if mm -hmm. you're afraid that they're going to react badly to something or if they have reacted badly, it's hard to bring up the next thing or right. another thing, you know? 100%. So, and, you know, you had said earlier, you know, if you approach this a little more matter-of-factly and like something you want to share with your partner, mm -hmm. that's really the way to go about it. Don't set yourself up for failure by priming your partner to uh, look at this as aberrant or or negative or as something that they have to suffer through to make you happy, you know? Um, yeah, So so like an example of that might be, so there's this kink thing that I, I or the, this kind of different sexy thing that I want to explore with you. And like, you know, I don't know if you're going to like it or not, because, uh, you know, not everybody does. And so I totally understand if you don't. And yeah, mm -hmm. so setting yourself for failure there, as opposed to, you know what I found out? I found out that actually, you know, like the, the inside your vagina, the G-spot thing that we do and you get such an incredible response. I have one of those. Right. And I want to explore it with you. <laughs> oh, enough. It, it, absolutely. That's the right way to go about it, if you can. And I know it's it's not always easy. Um, but um, for me and the few partners that I've talked about this or shared this interest with, um, it was. Mm -hmm. um, so, like I said, it was easy for me to kind of broach that topic and then kind of, you know, the first domino had fallen. Yes. Um, and so it only made future communication even easier. So tell me some more about how bad that harness was. <laughs> oh my gosh. So <laughs> I teach about this. I just want you to like, you know, give me a few more details. <laughs> Absolutely. So I listened to um, another wonderful podcast and I hope you don't mind if I mention not this. Not at all. Not at all. Um, I'm, I'd love to plug um, Girls on Porn. I don't know if you've mm -hmm. ever. Right, I know about I just, them. Yes. Mm -hmm. They're wonderful. Um, Rachel and Laura, um, I've seen them live. They're great. Um, but they use a term um, called uh, not dexterity, but dexterity, mm. and it's either a you know a a person either with a penis or a person who doesn't have a penis who is wearing you know a strap on, um, and their their skill and their confidence in wielding it, um, because it is a skill, um, yes. as I'm sure you know very well and have preached uh, before. Yes. Um, so you know the first few times that we've used that toy. Um, it was, of course, a little more satisfying for me than it was for my partner because mm -hmm. she felt awkward and gangly. And I think that there was more of me kind of trying to pull this enthusiasm out of her um, than I was, you know, uh, I was exploding with it. Um, it was mutual, but when you don't feel comfortable with your tools, it's hard to do a job right. Especially um, in the beginning when the learning curve is so steep anyway, mm -hmm. and and you add the disadvantage of bad equipment that makes it infinitely harder that mm -hmm. just compounds the whole thing yeah so well, i'm glad you guys got past that <laughs> what did you get after that what kind of a harness if you don't mind my asking i don't mind at all um that's why um i reached out to you all those years ago um was for some advice on where to go from there um ah. because like so many others on the receiving end in a picking situation 
I was very much thinking of, okay, how do I make sure my female partner also gets pleasure? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm wired that way. I'm like, you know, I want to please and I want to make sure that it isn't a totally uneven exchange of physical sensation. You know, I think that I've kind of moved past that, that initial kind of um, that tit for tat conversation yeah that need to have her and i'm doing air quotes here get something out of it too can't tell you how many times i've heard that phrase yeah right and you know as we've become more comfortable with each other and the act of pegging you know she has of course communicated to me it's not all about the physical it's not all about having an orgasm and Mm -hmm. her favorite parts of it are you know, she says that she likes not only the way that it looks, the reactions that she gets out of me, the sounds that I make that she doesn't hear in any other, you know, sort of aspect of our life. And, um, you mm-hmm. know, it's a whole sensory experience for everybody. Just because it's a little more on the physical side for me doesn't mean that she's not enjoying the aural, AU, um, yes, the visual, yes, yes. all of that. So, um, on your advice, we went with the uh, spare parts jock, which mm-hmm. head and shoulders above the, I think it was a, what did we have? It was a Tantus bend over, bend over beginner, beginner kit. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm sure that's infamous in its lack of quality. but um, And and probably have sold a zillion. And, you know, if, if when people ask me, so what's the best pegging equipment? If there was a kit out there that I had just that was my answer. Probably could have sold a zillion of them, but clearly because of the conversation we're having right here, that would be right. such a disservice to people. Oh my God. Absolutely. Um, so, hey, for getting my foot in the door, thank you, Tantis. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> but uh, after that, followed your advice and we went with, uh, you'll have to correct me if I get the name wrong, but mm-hmm. the um, the Fuse Tango? Yes, Fuse Tango. And then there was a Bullet Vibe as well that I think has a similar name. It did. That got discontinued. Um, okay. And now I recommend different bullet vibes because unfortunately, was it We Vibe? It was the Tango. What they did was they redesigned it and they redesigned it as like a little mini bullet vibe that you can hold like for clitoral stimulation or things like that. Oh. But in doing so, they made it unusable to put in those toys. Oh, yeah. I see. Okay. Well, so, our original V1 is still doing service um, very reliably, wow, which is yeah, great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually, after a very exciting and a sort of a satisfying pegging experience just recently, I was like, we got to get some, some new equipment. Now I'm thinking about it. Um, so <laughs> I saw that, um, I remember hearing on your show, um, about, uh, strap on me. Those You um, got one of those, which one did you get? Well, I got a, um, the, um, vibrating, um, double with the, yep. the bendable core. And then mm-hmm. also a um, just a standalone kind of suction cup one also from them. They were having a big sale. And I said, now's the time for sure. Yes, yes, absolutely. So unfortunately, I can't report on how fun it is yet. Um, we did use the standalone toy or the single toy um, on her. Uh, uh-huh. And she had a great time with some vaginal play, but can't report on any of the pegging stuff yet. At gotcha. least for those price. So did you get like the dual density one from them? The standalone? Correct. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. The, the dual density, yes, for, uh, yeah, the standalone or the single toy and then the double-ender. So you so, went straight from the Tantus kit to a double-ended toy. Yes. Wow. Um, yeah. That's you know, a lot. Was, That's a lot. It is. It absolutely is. And we had, you know, so purchased that um, that 
uh, Tantus double-ended toy, or the fuse, pardon me. The fuse, right, right. And then, you know, it's like, oh, okay, this is actually kind of feels like jumping into the deep end of the pool. <laughs> so uh, acquired some other kind of um, smaller, more approachable toys and playing with that um, that jock harness a little bit. And that kind of allowed us to, you know, find our way down this complicated path of uh, the learning curve of pegging. Now, you know, I would say that neither of us are experts, um, but, you know, some proficiency has been gained. and. It's far less of a um, far less of an occasion than it used to be. You know, there's less anxiety about it. There's not nearly as much um, no feeling of being performative. It's just something that feels natural now. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, I want to circle back to when you were describing what your partner gets out of it because so much of that is exactly how I feel. It's like I want to see and experience and be the cause of that wonderful opening and the vulnerability and the sounds you make and all those things like that. That is what sends me. That's amazing. And I do prefer, I teach about this when I teach about the, um, I, I mention this when I teach about the positions, I like eye contact because mm -hmm. there's this, there's this uh, expression on a receiver when you first penetrate them, maybe the whole time you're fucking them. That is a mixture of awe and surprise and this beautiful vulnerability so sure. it's, yeah, it's like this crack for me, <laughs> but the noises are like crack too. <laughs> sure, sure. You know, I think my my partner said, you know, it's so much of it is about the reactions and the way that um, I respond to this particular, this type of simulation. And she has said essentially, you know, I've never heard you make those noises before or yes. when we're when we're in the act, she has said many times, I love seeing you like this. Yes. And, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Right. And that's exactly what I'm looking for as well. Um, you know, when you are doing things to her. Correct. Um, yeah. And and also receiving. Um, that's how I want to feel. I almost, to me, when I'm receiving, I almost feel like it's a little performative. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I want to be that attractive partner. I want to be able to like let go and be sexy and be you know, sort of a, an experience for her to, to engage with. Um, and then that of aspect course, there, if I can interrupt you, that aspect please. right there about being, being the sexy and being, being, you know, that role, that is that something that was newly discovered as a penis owner through the mm -hmm. act of pegging is, was that kind of new to you? Yes. Um, you know, I think that the expectation for, you know, sort of heteronormative sex is, of course, that the male is, you know, uh, ooh, uh, alpha, alpha male and, you know, takes charge and mm -hmm. does whatever he wants and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And with pegging, you know, at least for me, the feeling of kind of vulnerability and being open and kind of um, receptive, it, it it's not just the act of pegging, it's all the preparation that you have to do to be receptive. You're like, I would need to, because you're getting ready for your partner, which I, at least for me, oh yeah, was always more associated with the female experience, or at least, you know, I'm again speaking in the gender binary, so you know, you have to forgive me there. But it's always, um, you know, if we're sticking within that dynamic for the sake of conversation, it's always the woman that's preparing 
like for the male or for penetration, et cetera. And so to then be the one that is, you know, preparing for sex in that in all the things you have to go through to get ready for pegging and then being receptive and kind of awaiting with the anticipation of, you know, penetration, it for me opened my eyes to the female experience or as close as I can, of course, get to it. And the sort of the more kind of vulnerable, softer elements of my personality that I enjoy exploring um, when we're doing this kind of play. Mm, um, that is so well stated. And I teach about how the role reversal is such an educational thing in, in these regards to both partners because you're switching roles. But the whole preparation thing, I hadn't even thought about that sort of that whole getting ready for your partner thing, because if you're a penis owner, the penis gets hard and you're ready. Right. <laughs> you know, right. So that's so, so interesting. Like, you know, I want to make sure that I'm that I'm clean, that everything is seamless. And then, you know, I don't want just gonna I'm not gonna rip off my pants and say, let's go like there's warm up, there's foreplay, etc. Yes. And yes. so everything takes on a very different tenor and tone. Um, and then when you're actually in the experience and things are starting to heat up and, you know, things are picking up. Um, you know, it's the only time in, in my life as sort of a heterosexual, stereotypically masculine presenting guy that I get to feel small or desired or objectified. And for mm. me, feeling those feelings, which, again, are, you know, so different from what I what I am or present as during the day mm -hmm. is is very liberating and very relaxing and you know, I think that allows me to kind of find my, you know, my subspace if we're using BDSM parlance. Yeah. Um, and it's just everything melts away. Um, and also help you to find your balance in terms of just sort of masculine, feminine type of stuff. Definitely. Um, yeah. What Because what I tell people is my attitude, and again, using the gender binary here, but um, men in this world are are majoring in masculine and minoring in feminine it's not like it's 100 percent. and that that smaller part is is really important and sometimes it's not so small i mean clearly i have a lot of male energy <laughs> so you know <laughs> sure. we all are different but you know being when you mentioned before about the experience you were talking about it and saying we're not experts the most important thing here is that you're experts with each other right mm -hmm. You've learned each other so well, because no matter how good you are with each other, it doesn't make you an expert with somebody else. So, you know, that's the most important thing is learning the ins and outs. Oh, there's another pun. I always bring that one in. <laughs> that was a good one. I like that one. <laughs> right? <laughs> Absolutely. So, and, you know, it's it's not always seamless. There are other things, you know, in our lives that are, of course, in, uh, uh, bring about some anxiety and some discussion. Um, pegging was again easy for me to talk about because even though it's a little off the beaten path it's it's almost mainstream at this point at least in 21st my 21st century yep mm -hmm. you know at 31 years old or you know when I first started thinking about it when I was 22 23 whatever not that deviant all things considered <laughs> mm -hmm. um but you know and I, I hope oh, this isn't too off topic but with my current partner again pegging was easy to talk about but I found myself um, getting extremely anxious to the point of um, actually shaking to talk about a different kink of mine because it's something I'd never brought up with anybody, um, mm -hmm. which would be um, cross-dressing. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, because that to me was just a bridge too far. Like that, that was in my mind and in my anxieties, truly deviant. Um, wow, but, it's interesting how we classify these things, isn't it? Absolutely. I'm like, yeah, bend me over and, you know, and absolutely just hammer away at me. But if, you know, stockings, <laughs> that's too much, you know, like, right. you know, when you say it like that, it's really, it's so funny. Right. right. So, you know, drawing these arbitrary lines as to what's normal, what's okay, what to be anxious about. Listen, my partner has a background in women and gender studies in sexual education oh. um, and all these sort of um, kind of, you know, socially conscious topics so to be nervous about any of this i know was silly um but still is you know that sort of kind of a vanilla conditioning that we're all subject to um at least you know sort of in i would say western society as a as a male-born person yes in sure. a male body basically yeah Definitely. there's there's so much of that and and you know the whole cross-dressing thing it's simply because of society's weird arbitrary rules that who knows how they came about that any clothing at all is labeled either masculine or feminine. That's the interesting part. Right. And that, that was a concept that I, I kind of understood a little bit more and really, I don't know, took in a little more deeply because I follow this person on Instagram, uh, Alok Mennon, and he is, um, he I'm not sure whether they identify as they or or he doesn't. So I'll say they they dress up so incredibly colorfully and with a mix of all kinds of things and the makeup and the earrings and uh, often what society would label feminine clothing. And mm -hmm. that person is always so wonderful with all of the detractors on, the, you know, that put awful comments on his posts and things and right. basically says you know clearly you're uncomfortable and it's not me that's making you uncomfortable the discomfort is with you and these are arbitrary rules and i just hope you find some peace and some you know happiness in your life because you know that's why we're all here but the whole thing about clothing being labeled one or the other is really interesting and yet i i embrace that it's not like i want it to all go away because for me one of the really exciting things is the contrast right. for me a really masculine body with bits of feminine things oh that's like dream that's wonderful absolutely and just kind of sinking into again sort of that softness what i what i as a heterosexual male perceive more as the feminine experience helps me to submit it becomes a whole kind of sensual sensory experience hmm. um but again, it, it you know it's the contrast. You know, it's not something I want to do every day or present as in my everyday life. But to have sort of a firm knifing off point to sort of like my regular day, to um, you know intimate time with my partner, and then kind of folding in all these other these other kinks, these all these other sensations that only live there, is um, very freeing. And there are moments, times in my life where I'm stressed out or have just had enough with the burdens of adult life that we all put up with, and it's like. Mm -hmm. Like you just, I just want to feel pretty and attractive and desired and just submit for a while. And yeah. all of this wrapped up in the sort of the pegging wrapper is just a, it's a unique and freeing and kind of liberating experience for me. Oh, that's fantastic. I think I have told this story about a friend of mine on my podcast before, but it's a couple that I know. And they were involved in some event and he was basically the Sherpa, you know, he was, 
he was there totally voluntarily doing all the stuff and moving the things and being the dude and being the Sherpa, right? And when mm-hmm. they got home, he said, I have been so intensely in this masculine for the last three days that I just want to put on some pretty things and have you fuck me. <laughs> and That's, yeah, that so, sounds great. <laughs> right. And so it's kind of like it's it's a tool is is, you know, that can be a pun too, but it's almost like something you can use to balance yourself out and to be aware when you feel imbalanced too, like he mm-hmm. was. Yeah, that's beautiful. Finding that balance is so important, I think, for any relationship and in many aspects of a relationship. Um, but, you know, I would say if I had to pick a label in terms of if I, you know, point towards bottom or top, whatever, I'm I'm definitely a switch. There are moments in my life where I feel dominant and like I want to, as you say, run the fuck and just do, you know, just uh, standard heteronormative things. And there are other times where I'm ready to be soft and relaxed and let my partner take control. And she feels the same way. And so, you know, I just think being open and honest with your partner about how you feel on a regular basis, not only talking about things when there's problems um, is only going to set you up for success, um, not only with pegging, but in general. It'll, it'll allow you to be complete human beings from my perspective it's sort of like you don't have to be in the box all the time and the box can be so constrictive and so stifling and sure there might be times when you want to be that soft person who's not in control and so does your partner and it's like oof, well okay now what do Mm -hmm. we do we'll just do something different you know it's not always going to match necessarily but still the authenticity is what's precious and so valuable is that authenticity because then you're just being real there's no pretending there's no fitting into the box and yeah that part is just beautiful so i have a note here about you have an interest in chastity is would you be willing to talk about that uh sure certainly willing to talk about it um you know i chastity for me let's see man when did I first come across this? I I can't say. You know, there was probably probably found some very at the time to me confusing, you know, web comics or whatever it happens to be that included chastity. Mm-hmm. And kind of like <laughs> I feel like a lot of kinks that end up becoming very important to you, it starts off as very scary and very alien. Like, oh, I'll surely never be into that. <laughs> and then, you know, it starts to grow. It seems yeah. to begin to grow. Right. <laughs> and um, so, you know, when I started exploring um, that, you know, with just some cheap, you know, affordable chastity cages from online and just kind of started to think that, yeah, you know, I could really be into this. Mm-hmm. Um, that, too, was very easy to bring up with my partner, uh, my current partner. So um, did you did you kind of experiment with the cheap ones sort of by yourself to see if you liked it before you brought it up or? Yes. Uh-huh. Um Though not, though not for long. <laughs> okay. Because um, as soon as like a first uh, device, I tried it on and I said, yeah, this is going to be important to me for sure. Oh. Um, and what, uh, what so, about it made you so certain? What, what, how did it feel? Yeah. Uh, it's kind of hard to explain or justify because when you ask, how did it feel? You know, at first, not great as I'm wearing an uncomfortable chunk <laughs> of cheap you know, knock off, you know, plastic, probably from eBay or whatever. Sure. Uh, And I'm just like, yeah, it doesn't fit at all. And I'm really uncomfortable. 
Um, but when I look down at this and I realize um, exactly what's going on and all the things that I'm feeling right now, I just felt, uh, I don't know, it just made me very excited and just sort of anxious to share this with my partner. Mm -hmm. Because the idea of, I think, you know, chastity and sort of the kind of submission that it can bring about was very attractive to me, much in the same way that pegging is. Um, to be sort of um, just available for someone else's use and pleasure, mm -hmm. um, regardless of your own or whatever experience you're going to have as the receiver was very enticing to me. And it just became what I would say now is one of kind of my core, my core kinks or interests. It's certainly not something that I play with every day or all the time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the internet abounds with I think a lot of fiction about folks that have been, you know, locked away in chastity for, you know, years at a time. And maybe that is some people's truth and some people's real life. And that's great for them. Um, but well, I don't so, think that their prostates would think it was great, but go ahead. Well, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. I, I'm ne neither. I'm not a doctor, so no medical advice given here, of course. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but it became a very interesting to me and just sort of allowed me to kind of explore my submissive feelings and just kind of the ability to and again in this in this case physically lock away some of my kind of like heteronormative kind of everyday masculine ideas and kind of keep that kind of smoldering fire of submission and and sexuality alive for a long period of time um so it's something that um, I play with with my partner occasionally. It's a spice that we like to add in, and uh, it's a lot of fun during pegging too. <laughs> yeah, that years ago, uh, somebody mentioned how they really like to combine the two, and this was I don't know, ten years ago or something. And mm -hmm. I said, okay, so tell me what what is it that you like about this? And I think I said something on the podcast and this guy was kind enough to write and say, okay, these are all the ways that it can be enjoyed. And there's such a variety of different ways as well. There's mm -hmm. the sensory thing of a well-fitting cage that feels like it's just being held. And that's almost like a hand holding, you know, your package basically while they're doing mm -hmm. something to you or something like that. But there's also the okay, someone using me for their own pleasure without a thought to mind, sort of that ultimate objectification and being used as an object, that's like the extreme. And then there's also, uh, I have no control. I mm -hmm. only get to come when my partner says I get to. And that sort of thrill of combination, thrill of not having control, but also relief. And so that's one of the things that intrigues me about it too, is I've heard... Um, penis owners who really enjoy chastity say so i don't even have to think about when i'm going to masturbate next because i don't have a choice and so i get a lot more done did that sure. happen with you so that's so interesting um the the statement of i don't even have to worry about when i'm going to masturbate next is so interesting and wild to me um and i do you think that that statement is born and again i'm not pointing any fingers but is that partly like a shameful thing like, I think it can you know, be because, compulsion? yeah, yeah, I the, think it can be because okay. even now on the Reddit sex subreddit, which is like all kinds of people there, you get really young people on there saying, you know, my girlfriend doesn't want me to masturbate. It's like, oh, fuck. Seriously, <laughs> people? Seriously? Right. Yeah. Um, and, and 
I think that this is a huge window into the abysmal state of sex education in our right. country. And much less, even if there's any sex education at all, there's fucking no pleasure-based sex education. Mm -hmm. You know, it's taught all about how not to catch diseases, how not to get pregnant, blah, 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 consent. Consent is wonderful. It's mandatory in California, yay, to teach that in sex ed. But where is the pleasure aspect? And so there are still people that just don't understand so many things. So I think, yes, part of it's shame. Mm -hmm. Another thing I think that's happening is there is um, quite a movement of semen retention, stupid, no faps shit. And sure. yes, I said that. And anybody listening to my podcast that disagrees with me can just disconnect from all the stuff I teach right now, because this is not good and it's harmful. I follow a scientist, a researcher named Nicole, I think her first name is, Prowse, P-R-A-U-S-E. And she does studies on this stuff. And there's a higher rate of suicide. I mean, it's very, wow. very harmful. What's Jeez. going on in some of these no-fap uh, groups, it's not good at all. And they become pretty rabid. And then there's some overlap stuff with incels and yeah. Right. Yeah. So we have to so look there's... at the whole picture here. You know, I mean, right. I think if you're if you're engaging in these sort of um fringe online communities, there's got to be some underlying reasons for that. You know, people are looking for an opportunity to belong to a community regardless of whether that community is good for them. Right. What, and they don't, know, and they know. don't have any guidance. So, you, you know, you got to lean into something. Right. And so that's right. like an extreme yeah. factor that might be part of it, but then just in general on the, on the other end of the spectrum, so to speak, there's the just pretty consistent sex negativity right. that is present in our country that creates that little bit of shame. Ooh, I'm masturbating. And even if you know, it's okay, are you okay with your partner walking in on you, knowing you're doing it, stuff like this? And when a couple gets to that point, I think that's lovely. It's like, oh yeah, that yeah. is truly authentic, but there's all kinds of factors that affect that. So when somebody says, yeah, um, I don't have to worry about it anymore, but that's also a remark born from, uh, oh, I don't know if it's true or not, because I'm not a penis owner. It's like, I'm always thinking about when the next time is I'm going to masturbate. Oh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Got so it. is that true? So, you know, for me, it's, <laughs> uh, I'm setting myself up for failure, really, with chastity here, because <laughs> when I'm in chastity, I am happy to be in chastity, and I'm attracted to the idea of being in chastity. So okay. it has the opposite effect for me, where I am, in some ways, kind of um, propagating the game and the sort of the heightened uh, desire for sex on my own. Yes. Um, so, you know, I find myself, you know, after a few days, it's like, okay, now, now I'm starting to get like, you know, the three day itch or, you know, however long it's been. And I'm like, now I'm looking at, now I'm on a for now I'm on a, a chastity forum. Now I'm looking at more pegging or femdom porn. Now I'm spending more time doing the things that other folks might say this helps them avoid, or they're trying to tell themselves that it helps them avoid. Yeah. I'm very curious about the experience of being in chastity, wearing the cage, and what looking at porn sure so you, can you, you speak know, to that <laughs> yeah yeah that probably sounds like not the best decision in the world um but as you said with a well-fitting cage it's you know it's very comfortable being in there you'll forget that it's on except when you are aroused and then you're getting this just absolutely just sort of like um as you said just a hug around your 
intimate parts. And mm -hmm. it's like you're constantly reminded of your sexuality and the fact that you can't have release. And so at least how I would interpret it is, you know, you're flooded with endorphins, you're obsessed with the idea of going after that thing that you can't have. And it's just the the taboo of it, of, you know, you know, I, say I'm at the gym, I'm looking around, I'm like, I'm definitely the only guy wearing a cock cage here at the gym, or maybe I'm not, you know, but, you know, it's something that I can kind of have privately, or my partner and I can share and just have a little secret. And we're, there's always some foreplay going on. And that's kind of what I look at it as, you know, I'm looking at these things or enjoying this, this porn or this material or whatever. And I get just a little zap of endorphins and fun. Um, and then after long enough, I have some amazing sex with my partner and it's all worth mm. the wait. So when you say there's always some foreplay going on, is that because the cage on your penis actually feels a little bit like foreplay or is it because there's so much awareness because you're wearing that cage that the, just the whole um, in maybe interaction with your partner is much more, contains a whole lot more teasing and things like that is, would you, you know? Sure. It's a little bit of both. The okay. physical sensation on its own um, is, is, is its own experience. Um, I think, you know, any cock owner would, you know, be able to kind of relate, like, you know, when you kind of make your, your cock do that kind of, you know, do the jump and you get that yeah, yeah. pulse, mm -hmm. you know, and it kind of feels like that because you're straining against the confines of the, you know, the material, whatever material that that cage is made of. So there's this sort of low level pleasurable um, pulse, um, mm -hmm. you know, kind of when you're aroused in your cage. And you combine that with all of the sort of the, the mental stimulation of the things that you're into, the things that you want to do and you can't do. And it's this kind of wonderful cocktail of kind of, uh, you know, wanting what you can't have. Mm -hmm. um, and Which then makes course, you want it even more and feeds itself. Yes. Correct. So it's a self-fulfilling, <laughs> self-destructive process, at least for me, <laughs> in the best way possible. Um uh, so, you know, at least the way that my partner and I play with chastity, it's not sort of like a hard and fast thing. We don't have a permanent 24 seven Dom sub relationship. You know, of mm -hmm. course we're always playing safely where, you know, um, I have a key on me for any potential safety reason that I might need to get out. Of course there's hygiene concerns. Um, but, uh, but at least for me, it allows me to always be feeling some of those subby feelings that I want to feel when we're being intimate, but mm. just out in my daily life. And it's, you know, I'm not dragging anybody else into my kink in doing so. It's just something totally private to us. Yes. That's wonderful. So um, one of the things I'm curious about is what's the longest you've ever had the cage on? Um, that was a recent stint of, it was just over two weeks. Mm -hmm. Um which to many people would probably say that's amateur hour. What's what's there even to brag about? But for me, it was a long time. Yeah, it's you absolutely know? perspective. And chastity can be used in so many different ways. And you've really, you described a bunch of them. So, but some people would consider that amateur. And I laugh at that. But, you know, there's whole forums, like you said. Sure. And and I, I hadn't even considered that some of the people on the forums, it's like, oh, they're just telling a story here. It's like the erotic value of the story, as opposed to actually being locked up for that long. But there's right. some people that do it. Well, you know, one of the things that her and I had discussed, you know, during that kind of long, long stint towards the end of it, you know, I had said, you know, I would 
something I've always wanted to do is be locked in chastity for long enough where I could have like, um, you know, an anal orgasm. Mm -hmm. No, I know that's not, those things aren't required for each other. They don't, they are exclusive and anybody, you know, uh, I don't know the science behind it. I don't know if everybody's capable of, of something like that. Um, but I have heard through amateur, you know, <laughs> players online mm -hmm. that, you know, abstaining from sex for long enough kind of makes it easier to, you know, through no contact with your, with your penis, have an orgasm through yes. pecking. Yes. So perhaps as an expert in the field, you can probably <laughs> speak to this much more intelligently than I. No, no, um, no, you're doing a great job. So that would be, I think, very cool, very sexy and something that we are both interested in. Um, but we ended up, you know, could just couldn't wait any longer, had to do the deed. It is what it is. Um, so that, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. Uh, you know, kind of chastity orgasm is still elusive. Um, I hope to achieve it one day. But uh, so we'll see. It's another kind of way to pursue a whole other experience with pegging, you know, via another kink, I hope. Right. So, you know, October's coming up. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but that may not be the best month for you. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> That's quite the endeavor. Uh, you know, again, some people would might say four weeks is nothing. I can do that, you know, on my head. Mm -hmm. um, as a, you know, a healthy 31-year-old guy, that sounds like a lifetime. So we'll have to yeah. see. This is reminding me of a story of uh, a couple who wrote, I think she was the one who wrote me and basically said, okay, so we do the pegging thing, right? And But my husband is leaning into being more submissive and wanting to be more dominant at times. But we have the challenge of a long-distance relationship part of the time because he travels a lot. Mm -hmm. So what are some things that I can do or, you know, give me some ideas and things and just totally off the top of my head. And I said, well, you know, there's always like, not just phone sex, but like video, like a zoom call, you know, just sex, whatever you could be, just be talking with him. You could read him erotica and have him take it out of the cage, get it hard and mm -hmm. then make him put it back in, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it's like, no, you don't, you don't get to release. You need to put it back in. And right. that was the starting point, and it was just an idea. But he wrote me after that and said, "Oh my God, <laughs> yeah. this is what amazing." Have you done? <laughs> well, and, 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 but in a good way, it just helped them right. really keep that wonderful sexual connection, even mm -hmm. when he was gone for like two weeks at a time. So yeah, right. But yeah, chastity you know, fascinates me; it really does. Is it something that you have an interest in, or is it just you just love cocks too much you can't lock one up? Both. Yeah. Okay. No, sure. definitely both because uh, it fascinates me. You know, I love control, so that appeals absolutely. Um, you know, the key with the on the necklace. You know, yeah, absolutely. I'm totally down with that. Being in control of when my partner orgasms, totally down with that. Right. And also, sort of using, even though this is all consensual, of course, but like using my partner. If I were to be with someone, like. I'm just putting it out there, like on a cruise, <laughs> not, not this one I'm taking, this one's with family, but, you know, on a cruise down to Mexico, like a five-day cruise in a cage the whole time, you get fucked every day, every day, right. maybe multiple times a day. That could be really mm -hmm. fun. That appeals to me, not only for the level of pleasure, potentially hands-free orgasm and stuff like that, prostate orgasm it can give, but just the, I don't know, ownership, if you will. I'm not into like master slave stuff, but yeah. Right. So that's like one side of, of sort of what appeals to me. And I've written some erotic stories in that regard as well. But um, yeah, I am a lover of cocks. I like to play with them. 
that in itself gives me a huge feeling of power because it's like mm -hmm. the best toy in the world, man. That's why I so enjoy giving blowjobs. It's like, look what I can make this do. <laughs> you know, Look Absolutely. at all of these different things that I can make happen. It's so, yeah. When it's locked up, it's like, eh, you know, I don't get to play right. with it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the conversation, of course, is always, well, you know, you're in charge. You can take it out whenever you want. But mm -hmm. it's, you know, the conversation with my partner is always it's, you know, you're split between, OK, like I know he doesn't want to come, but I want to play with it. And, and should we leave it in? Do I get, you know, should I just give him what he wants? Should I, you know, get be quote unquote selfish and do what I want? And so it's 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 hard to find a balance for sure. Um, because, you know, my partner, she loves penetrative sex. Mm -hmm. And look, if we just look at the logistics of it, the longer I'm in that cage, the less satisfying the end event, at least in terms of penetration, is going to be for, you know, in terms of duration, you know? <laughs> yes. So, I can say, you know, there's toys and there's all sorts of ways to uh, to play with penetrative sex. Sure. But it's not that that flesh on flesh, that person on person connection. That's it is a different. specific thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, sometimes, sometimes oral is and toys is not enough. You want the, you know, the whole kit and caboodle. So I think, you know, she's kind enough to indulge in some of my kinks. I need to be sensitive to her needs as well. Um, so we, mm -hmm. this is the balance we've found so far. And it is. Yeah, so it's like, sometimes it's take off the cage. I want the dick. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, hey, you know, for some people, they're happy going months. We're not. So that's, that's our dynamic right now. Yeah. So have you ever combined the cross-dressing with the chastity? Of course. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That, I thought that was a yeah, no-brainer, yeah. but I just thought I, I'd ask. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's all in service of, at least for me, I find a lot of the submissive feelings that I'm looking for in exploring those, again, quote-unquote, feminine pursuits. Sure, sure. And so just being able to dress up and feel um, sexy and pretty um, because mm -hmm. pretty is not an adjective that I apply to myself ever. Um, yes. It's not an experience that I have in my life. Um, mm -hmm. And so sometimes having the chance to look in the mirror and see something that I would describe as, as pretty or attractive is very intoxicating because it's mm. so alien to me. Mm -hmm. And that helps me sink into those submissive feelings when they're rising to the surface. Cause I don't always feel that way. And chastity is part of that because the longer I'm locked up, the more submissive I start to feel. So it forms mm -hmm. this lovely dovetailing of an experience. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, some of my favorite sexual experiences have been, um, you know, dressed and in chastity and being pegged by my partner. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of folks who are maybe a little less comfortable with some of those things, might have some harsh labels for me and say that, you know, Steve, you're actually not very heterosexual, are you? And I'd say, you know, these are some activities that I like to do. I'm doing them with my partner and I don't have any kind of attraction to anybody or will any penis havers or, you know, masculine men. And I just don't understand that anxiety in the lines that people are trying to draw. Well, and you speak so eloquently about this. My instincts were good in getting you to an interview because you speak so intelligently and eloquently about your experience that this may end up being an interview that I send people to when it's like, okay, so this cross-dressing thing, 
does that really mean he wants to be a woman? Does that really mean right. he wants to be gay or bisexual or la la la? Because mm -hmm. there's a lot of concern in that regard as well. Sometimes I think it's just so hard for um, givers of pegging who seem to be entrenched in those stereotypical gender roles to accept that. I mean, one of the things I've heard a guy say is, oh my God, the underwear that you guys get to wear is so soft and silky and amazing. I right. mean, it feels so much better on my skin than anything right. I've ever had as underwear before. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, I had no idea. And, you know, interesting contrast, Halloween many years ago, I'm thinking by now it's at least 30 years ago. And I dressed up like a man, I cross dress and I'm tall and I'm broad shoulders and I had all my hair under a hat and I pretty much, I dressed pretty convincingly. It was really a lot of fun. One of the things I found, oh my God, you guys dress so comfortably. <laughs> <laughs> nothing clings nothing you don't have to worry about anything well it's not that up. it's like the heels yeah and the underwear right. bra and the stupid shit you know right yeah. that's so funny you Isn't know it? my <laughs> my first um experience real experience with cross-dressing was halloween as well oh, and this was yeah. a number a number of years ago but i knew i had this interest and i just thought okay how can I kind of test the waters on this with my partner in like a very safe way? And this is probably looking back on it, you know, not the best way to go about it. I probably should have just talked about it with my partner initially instead of building this up as this thing to be so anxious about. But at the time, I'm like, all right, it'd be hilarious. Um, you know, a big joke. Ha ha. If I was a French maid for Halloween, don't you think? And she's like, oh, yeah, it would be. So I was. And it uh -huh. was really interesting going out in public um, dressed like that because I, for the first time, felt like I understood some of the negative feelings that oh. women have. Mm -hmm. um, because I went to a Halloween party and I was getting a lot of male attention that I did not want. I had a couple of guys approach me and say things along the lines of like, wow, you know, uh, you know what do you have to say? Like, you know, like, dude, I'm not gay, but you look pretty good. And I'm just like, you know, it was very off-putting and I felt anxious and there was sort of that underlying threat of, um, no, I won't, I won't go as far to say sexual assault or anything, but it was uncomfortable is all, mm -hmm. is all that I'm really trying to say. Oh yeah. And we go and through that all the time, <laughs> all the time, all the time. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, kind of all that combined um, just with my own internalized kind of misogynistic feelings about that type of clothing and such, you know, made me get to the point where with my partner, you know, I had proposed to her and everything was great. And I still felt like I need to tell her about this part of me mm. before we get married in case yeah. this is a deal breaker. Yeah. And of course, looking back on it, I, that's totally ridiculous. It's just an aspect of me it doesn't change who I am as Steve, the guy. Um, but for me, you know, it wasn't the pegging that was the big hurdle. It was the cross-dressing yeah. and none of these things are linked. Of course, you know, you can be just into pegging, you can be just into cross-dressing, et cetera, et cetera. But for me, as I continued down this path, I discovered all of these different things about myself. Mm -hmm. And the one thing I will say to hopefully assuage some anxieties to those listening to this is not for a single moment there that I doubt who I was as myself, as a man, my sexuality, 
I enjoy these parts of myself and exploring them with my partner. And that's all that there is to it, as far as I'm concerned. Hmm. So what would you tell receivers, hopeful receivers who are thinking about exploring pegging? What would you tell them? I know it's a platitude, but I would just say that life is too short not to feel fulfilled in your sex life. You know, mm. if this is something that is important to you, I I can't imagine the the angst of having to keep this suppressed for my whole life. Ima- imagine if you don't open up to your partner or or you do after 30 years together or something and you realize that they're open to it and you could have been enjoying this, you know, your whole life. Yes, yes, yes. I've gotten those emails. Yeah. It just sounds horrible. Um, so I know that it's not the easiest thing in the world, and perhaps I had a much easier time bringing this up to some of my partners and kind of exploring all of these things that I like than other people might have. But if you truly trust your partner and have a connection and feel like you can communicate openly, just just do it. And I, again, I know it's a platitude, but it does not have to be this big watershed moment in your life. It's just some butt stuff. You know, I mean, it's not that big a deal. You buy some lube, you buy a toy and you put it in carefully and everyone has fun. That's all that it is. It doesn't mean anything else about who you are or what makes you you. It's just butt stuff. (laughs) I love it. Put it on a (laughs) t-shirt. Well, I was, um, I was thinking about my journey in terms of embracing my kinks that took so, so long. And I'm from a completely different generation than you are. But I think one other aspect to for people listening to take note of is how uncomfortable it is to have something that's hidden away that you have shame about. And what that does to you, kind of, that little hidden part, that part that you feel like, oh, I can't tell people about this because that's outside of the box. Can't do that, right? And labeling it bad and weird and different and strange, you know, that does so much harm. It, like you said, it's just butt stuff. As long as it's consensual and everybody is having a good time, then yeah, it's just butt stuff. So yes, thank you for that encouragement for all the potential receivers out there. Well, I think we're good. Do you have any other things, any other hints to share, stories to tell, anything at all you can think of? Um, Let's see. I don't think I have any hints that would be more helpful than all of the great advice you've provided uh, mm. on your podcast and all your various, uh, various uh, venues of communication. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think that's it. Um, I okay. hope that, you know, maybe someone can take some encouragement away from it. I just, for me, it's always very sad and very eye-opening when I hear some of the folks write into your podcast about how difficult it is to talk about these types of things. And I hope that, uh, you know, if this helps at all, or anyone is able to just kind of take that leap of faith and communicate with their partner about it, then I think that'd be great. I think that that will definitely happen. And this could well be an interview, like I said before, that I refer people to when they're having real doubts about their partner with the whole cross-dressing thing and all that, because Mm -hmm. that just explaining how that works for you and what you get out of it, that was really lovely. 
Oh, cool. I, you, I hope that I didn't go off on a tangent too much with things outside of Peggy. Oh, no, I, I you kept you there. I kept you there. Remember, yeah. I'm in control. I'm in control. You are. Remember? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, Steve, enjoy the rest of your day. And thank you so much for being on the show. It was my pleasure. Thanks so much for uh, linking up again. This was a lot of fun. So, hey, I am so happy that uh, Steve and I went full circle and managed to connect up again, and we did that interview. I really enjoyed that, and I hope you that you did too. So before I close out here, I wanted to mention that Movember's coming up pretty quick here. As a matter of fact, I went to a party down at the Santa Monica headquarters of Movember and got to see their cool building. Man, I walked in and I went, seriously, this is a place where people work because I want to work here. <laughs> It was beautiful. I just had cool stuff like a pool table and creative places and places to sit down and have your lunch. And yeah, it looked really, really cool. But the point is they were having their 20 year anniversary and they were also inviting people who I think were platinum members at least once before in the local uh, community to come down and attend the party. I've been a platinum member twice, and that means I raised $1,000 or more. So I got to go down to the party. It was a host bar. Boy, I wasn't going to miss that. And eats from the local restaurants around and interactive things. They had a Volkswagen bus with a little photo shoot thing in there. And they had like a cornhole game. There was all kinds of stuff going on. And I got some swag. It was a really fun time. A girlfriend of mine drove me down and we just had so much fun down there. And it was very inspiring, of course. And it not only served as a celebration for their 20th anniversary, but it served as a kickoff for this season's Movember, of course. And for any of you who are going, what the fuck is Movember, <laughs> right? A quick recap. This is a foundation that started 20 years ago, clearly, in Australia. And initially, they were devoted to raising awareness of testicular cancer and prostate cancer. And over the years, they have expanded worldwide, and they have also expanded their topics to men's mental health. And I can't tell you how happy I am about that. If you go cruise on their website, you'll be amazed at the different things that you can find. They have an area that helps men who have had prostate cancer and had their prostate removed, rebuild their sexual relationship with their partners. There's advice and things on that. There's an interactive area for men to learn how to be better parents, positive, kind, compassionate parents. I mean, there's so much there. And there's so much that really counters the whole, uh, let's see, how do I usually put it? Men were non-consensually trained out of so many skills that a lot of people now, especially women, resent them for not having, um, at a young age, non-consensually, like uh, isolation, competition. I mean, there's so many things that men are trained to do that are not good for them and their physical and mental health. So I'm a big fan of trying to find a new definition, a, more, a healthier definition of masculinity. And I bent the ear of at least three staff workers at that party and said, look, this is what I love that you're doing. You're really helping to redefine masculinity as something healthier. And I so appreciate that. 
Clearly, I'm a fan of prostate, so that's what got me there. And by the way, a big shout out to the One Ball Wonder. <laughs> that's how he signs his name on emails. And he wrote and asked me for a donation six years ago. That's how I got started with Movember. But go explore their websites because there's there's a bunch of branches that they go off into different areas. And that's why I say websites, plural. But the main one can take you everywhere. And by the way, I have got my donation site on their website up and running. I am a Mo Sista. That's what they call us. Mo Sistas and Mo Bros. And my goal this year, I've decided, is not a specific workout routine or number that I want to attain. It is a number, but it's a different one. And it might be a little difficult for me, but I'm going to give it my damnedest. I am going to try and lose my COVID-20. Now, 20 pounds is too much to lose in that period of time. So I've reduced it to 15 and I've increased the time. I am going to start my November goal tomorrow, which is the 15th, okay? And so that gives me 45 days to lose 15 pounds. And I know that's still pretty quick, but I'm going to give it my best. And I can't think of any better way to try and make that goal a reality than to peg as many guys and get some cardio as I can, right? (laughs) That's my dream world of exercise, right? Where's a gym that lets me do that? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. So I think that's all the news I have in that regard. I'm not going to do my usual sign off. I'm just going to say, hey, take care, everybody. uh, And um, happy pegging. No shame.